Welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOTN. This week we're going over UFC 250, headlined by the women's featherweight title between um, Amanda Nunes and Felicia Spencer. Should be a fun fight. Not the most intriguing on paper, but uh, I think that a lot of people will be pleasantly surprised in terms of the, the fight that we're going to get here between those two ladies. Um, right off the bat, it's wedding week for you, boy. So um, I'll be getting married at the end of this week. Obviously, due to this whole COVID shit, uh, it's not going to be as crazy as originally planned. We're just going to have uh, me, my soon-to-be wife, two witnesses, and a minister there. So we're just going to bang that thing out. Um, and then from there, just come home, have some uh, lunch with the with the family, and then head off to a, to a cottage for the for the weekend. Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, we're going to be gone, which means that I'm going to be going completely dark on social media. I won't be uh, checking the Twitter, checking the YouTube, checking the fights. I don't want to get the fights spoiled for me because I won't be able to watch them that that night. Um, you know, when I get back on Tuesday, I'll definitely be able to watch it at that point, uh, which is when I'll start to reconnect with the world once again. But uh, as as soon as Saturday hits, I'm I'm completely gone. I'm completely out. So uh, wish your boy luck. Um, I can't wait. You know, I've been looking forward to this for a long time, but all of our actual festivities will be happening next year uh, in terms of the party, reception, and all that type of crap. I, I'm really looking forward to that. But this weekend alone is kind of what we, me and my girl, have always wanted. We wanted something super intimate. Um, and, you know, it took a pandemic for it to play out this way. But, uh, you know, we're, we're looking at it glass half full and we're really going to enjoy this experience while we can. All right. Enough about my personal life. Uh, Let's go over the last event that happened, UFC Vegas. Uh, I only had a small card there, and I kind of wish I went a little bit harder on the card, considering that I went 8-2 and two on my predictions last week. Uh, but let's quickly go over it. I had a four-unit play, my lock of the night play, on the under 2.5 in the Billy Quarantillo and Spike Karloff fight. Man, there were so many opportunities for finishes there, and I was on the edge of my seat the entire time. It's like one thing if like both guys are just staring at each other or they're just grapple-fucking each other uh, to, to lose an under, but to lose an under this way just hurts. <laughs> you know, both guys had a, a plenty of opportunities to finish. Um, you know, their opponent was always able to get out of bad positions or recover and then come back with their own barrage or anything like that, so... Minus four units there, but luckily the dog of the night hits for us. I wish I went a little bit deeper on this too because, again, if you guys have been following me for a while, I've been a huge Woodley naysayer. You know, not a hater, but a guy that, like, has seen through the bullshit that Woodley kind of puts out there and uh, the the weird perception that people have of Tyrone Woodley. So uh, happy for Gilbert Burns there. Um, and for people saying that he's going to go out there and beat Kamar Usman, not completely on board with that either. We'll see what happens, uh, but I like. Uh, I'm happy that Gilbert Burns uh, won that uh, 1.64 units. There, I'm happy with that. Um, all right, this card that we got, UFC 250. Overall, not that bad of a card. It's getting a lot of flack due to the fact that it's, you know, the 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 main event is just not the most appealing. But the rest of the card is sprinkled with great great fights. Corey Sanhagen against Aljamain Sterling. Rafael Asuncao against Cody Garbrandt, uh, Rocco Martin against Neil Magny. There's a ton, a ton of fights on here that I'm super psyched for, so I can't wait to get back on Tuesday to actually watch them and see how the bets play out. After going through this entire card and breaking it down, I believe that I'm going to have a, a plethora of, of, of bets for this fight, between five and six possible bets here. Um, and and if you guys don't already know, I, I normally break these fights down prior uh, and 
as each breakdown finishes, I post it right to my Patreon. So uh, hit up the Patreon if you guys want to get these breakdowns even quicker. Um, I try to, you know, get them out uh, as soon as possible. As soon as I finish uh, recording, I put it up uh, onto my Patreon, and then my Patreon subscribers are able to get it ASAP. So I apologize for the lateness of this. But, I, you know, again, if you're a patron, then you got this content already. So, huh. uh, but either way... Um, yeah, make sure you guys hit out the Patreon. Everything is in the description below. Make sure you guys check that shit out. All right, let's get into the breakdowns. Evan Dunham versus Herbert Burns. This fight's intriguing due to the fact that this is Evan Dunham coming back from his retirement. Last time we saw him in the cage was against Francisco Trinaldo way back in September of 2018. He was actually scheduled to fight Michael Johnson in April before this whole COVID thing went down. Uh, obviously, that fight got uh, that fight got cancelled, and now here he is against Herbert Burns, the brother of Gilbert Burns, who just recently won a huge fight over Tyron Woodley uh, to pretty much cement himself as a number one contender in the welterweight division. Uh, but this fight with Herbert Burns. Uh, it's going to be a, at a catch weight of 150 pounds. Um, I'm intrigued to know what kind of Evan Dunham we're going to see on the return. And in terms of the odds here, we're talking about minus 230 Herbert Burns plus 190 Evan Dunham. And right off the bat, I think even pre-tape, I thought this line up, uh, this line was quite wide. And uh, you know, post-tape. I still feel the same way. I think we we're definitely going to get a lot of value on Evan Dunham here. Um, so let's start off with Evan Dunham. Great jiu-jitsu, you know, one of the top-notch uh, uh, black belt jiu-jitsu players in the UFC. Um, you know, he's up there in age right now. He's 38 years old. Um, his hands is something that uh, have really looked better and better as the as his fights have gone on. Uh, he's a really good overall MMA fighter, not just super good at one thing, but just is really good at pretty much combining all aspects of MMA. And he's a tough, gritty fighter as well too. He can take punishment and still come back and and have a good performance, as we saw in the uh, Benio Dariush fight. We saw him get rocked and dropped early in that fight, but he was still uh, able to come back, win the second and third round on two judges' scorecards, um, and and uh, pretty much secure a. Uh, a draw in that fight there's one judge that scored it 29 28 uh for benio and uh you know that that just kind of states that you know they didn't give him the second round whereas the two other judges gave uh evan dunham round two and round three uh and then obviously gave benio darius 10 8 in round one um his hands have looked good like he he hurt Joe Lozon multiple times and obviously I know that Joe Lozon isn't obviously Herbert Burns and obviously not as young as Herbert Burns one thing I do want to confirm is actually the age of Herbert Burns so he's 32 years old so he's still pretty much in his fighting prime um big win over Rick Glenn when he went up against him uh had that draw against Benio Darius and then the Obama Garcia and Francisco Trinaldo losses I really want to get into those so the the OAM fight 53 seconds uh knees and punches but if you really notice if you watch the uh, there's the finishing sequence which is the the knee that uh Obama Mercier lands and then you see Evan Dunham crumple but if you pull that back a little bit further you'll actually notice that OAM actually lands a beautiful punch to the body and it kind of gets caught up and and overlooked a little bit due to the fact that there was a little bit more chaos going on in that exchange but you kind of visibly see uh the the strain in Evan Dunham's neck as he's trying to like get his gas about him because he was definitely hurt by that and even in that OAM knee that uh you know 
for most people began the, the finishing sequence you saw that it wasn't like the hardest knee either it's like he just hit him right in the perfect spot and we saw Evan Dunham uh, uh Evan Dunham drop and it really hurt him and and uh but I think that it was just more of a a repetitive blow to the same spot like again watch that last punch he hit it very well right on the target and then oem did a good job of following up biding his time but following up and still getting the victory uh in under less than a minute and then the francisco trinaldo fight you you see evan dunham throw a beautiful uppercut kind of misses and trinaldo follows up with the beautiful knee while evan dunham's ribs are just completely extended like it was the perfect shot like it's like it's like opening up the 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 precious spot and then just trinaldo finding that beautiful knee uh right in the perfect spot and 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 dropping and and hurting uh evan dunham in the process so the 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 notion out there that the fact that Evan Dunham has a, a soft tummy or a soft body and he can be hurt to the body just like, you know, Matt Brown continuously gets hurt to the body or uh, Donald Cerrone gets continuously hurt to the body. I think that might be a little bit over-exaggerated going into this fight. And I don't think it's something that we'll have to super be super worried about. Um, so as long as this fight stays on the feet, I think Evan Dunham could absolutely pick apart uh, Herbert Burns, who hasn't shown the greatest striking. Uh, in his last loss, you see that he gets absolutely outstruck. He's doing his best to try to get this fight to the ground. And I think even if he tries to get this fight to the ground with with Dunham, he's going to have difficulty submitting him. Dunham's a high-level jiu-jitsu player as well, too. So, um, you know, Herbert Burns is really going to have to work to get that finish. Um, he might be able to grind out a, a three-round decision here over Evan Evan Dunham, but we know from what we've seen for Herbert Burns, he's not really a decision fighter. He likes to go for the finish. He likes to get the submission. He likes to get the knockout. Um, but it's going to be tough to get that against Evan Dunham here. Um, unless he just solely focuses on entirely on the body of evan dunham i highly doubt we're going to see him knock out evan dunham here um i like dunham um i think that uh you know again another thing i I don't think herbert burns has the best takedown uh takedowns either i think evan uh, sorry i don't think herbert burns has the best takedowns either so we'll see evan dunham be able to keep this on the feet and really get his hands working you see him being able to put his punches together ending combinations with kicks um he's very very much uh, a very well refined striker and will have the advantage here on the feet herbert burns is just a little bit too chaotic too wild um yeah you know when you see herbert burns's fights when they end up on the ground it's strictly due to the fact that he's like trying to pull guard or or he's hurt the opponent or whatever it is it's not often that you see him actually secure a takedown with evan dunham uh, great takedown defense. I believe the last time he was actually taken down was by um, was by Rafael dos Anjos. I might be off on that, but I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. It might have even been 2015, uh, either the Rodrigo Dam fight or the Ross Pearson fight. But regardless, I, I don't see Burns getting Evan Dunham to the ground. It's going to be a tough way for him to get that fight there. I like him. I like Dunham at all gods. Uh, we'll have to, you know, keep our fingers crossed stri- slightly due to the fact that, again, it's it's a it's a comeback fight for him it's he hasn't fought in over two years you know close to two years so that's the only real 
thing we need to keep in mind here otherwise plus 190 plus 200 for evan dunham is is a steal in my opinion if i get that plus 200 um on one of my sites i'm definitely going to pull the trigger probably one to 1.5 units but i think he's a very live dog here a lot of people might be just recency bias uh you know benning herbert burns here he looked great against nate landwehr um put him away really quickly but i think you got to take that fight out of consideration compared to this fight against Evan Dunham. So I'm going to go with Evan Dunham to win by decision. I think that his hands are going to look really good here, uh, and he'll box Herbert Burns' face off. Um, and again, even if this fight hits the ground, I think Evan Dunham will be safe. Uh, very high-level jiu-jitsu guy himself too. Um, so yeah, we're going to go with Evan Dunham to win by decision. Uh, great dog here uh, at plus roughly plus 200. Devin Clark versus Alonzo Menafield. We got minus 220 on Alonzo Menafield plus 180 on Devin Clark. Uh, Alonzo Menafield, let's start off with him. Uh, Safe Sayud product over at Fortis MMA. 8 and, or sorry, 9 and 0 now. Uh, 2 and 0 in the UFC. He had two uh, first round finishes over Vinicius Mahea and Paul Craig. Uh, and then on the Contender Series, he had a quick uh, fight with uh, Deshaun Boatwright. 8 seconds where he just went in there and quickly uh, got rid of him. My concern with Alonzo Menafield is the fact that he uh, could have a suspect gas tank. And when he's going up against a wrestler like Devin Clark here, uh, Clark could actually just go, you know, as long as he closes the distance without taking too heavy of shots, Clark should be able to push uh, Alonzo Menafield up against the cage, wear him out that way, uh, go for endless takedowns because we know that that's what Devin Clark is capable of. However, the only concern with Devin Clark in this fight has got to be his chin. Uh, we've seen him get knocked out numerous times in the past. Even his UFC debut, uh, he got finished by uh, Alex Nicholson pretty quickly at 185. Then obviously he's gone up to um, 205 now. Uh, he's gotten finished in what? His last three losses were all by finish. Two of them by submission. Uh, last four losses by finish actually. Uh, but he's he's beaten guys like Josh Stans- Stansbury, Jake Collier, uh, Mike Rodriguez, Darko Stosic, and Daquan Townsend, all guys that I don't believe are that high level. Um, Alonzo Menafield, on the other hand, huge power. Uh, luckily for him, his last two fights were against pure jiu-jitsu guys who didn't really have the best chance of getting the fight to the ground. I believe Devin Clark has the best chance of getting a fight, getting the fight to the ground out of those three guys. Um, but even that, he's going to have to eat some hell on the way in. You know, if this was a fight um, or if this was a wrestler that had a slightly better chin uh, than Devin Clark, I would probably like the dog money on Devin Clark. You know, plus 180 is very, very good for in a fight where, you know, the the only real path to victory for Alonzo Menafield is that knockout. And that's a huge possibility, again, due to the fact that Devin Clark has a very suspect chin. Minus 150 for Alonzo Menafield inside the distance is not that bad of a price tag, but there's no way I would pay minus 220 for Alonzo Menafield straight up. Uh, there's no way he's winning this fight by decision. There's no way he's going to go out there and just absolutely outstrike, outpace, and outvolume Devin Clark in a 15-minute fight. Devin Clark's trying to make this a tough fight for Menafield again clinch up against the cage, drag this fight to the ground, and then just pretty, you know, he might have a difficult time holding him down in that first round as Alonzo Benefield has a lot of gas. But the longer this fight goes, the more it's in Devin Clark's favor. Um, 
it's it's so hard for me to trust Devin Clark's chin though. Like he definitely has to eat shots to get on the inside. I don't think Menafield has the craziest power. Um, you know, being that close, um, he's going to need to land that punch at range if he's going to be able to to put Devin Clark out. Which is why Devin Clark needs to be totally out or totally in. Um, again, it's it's very very enticing uh, Devin Clark at plus one eighty, but he's just shot the bed so many times in the past, and I feel like. Um, there will be some good uh, game planning on Safe Sayud's part uh, to ensure that Alonzo Menafield doesn't really exert his entire gas tank in that five minutes. But he needs to be very efficient in terms of getting that knockout. I believe he he can. Uh, we've seen Devin Clark duck his head numerous times before when he's throwing overhand rights. Obviously, he tries to disguise that whether it's going to be an overhand punch or a, a takedown. I think that if they set up like an uppercut up the middle, Alonzo Menafield is going to be able to land beautifully on Devin Clark and put him out. But again, minus 220, not really looking to bet that. Minus 150 on him to win inside the distance. Probably the better bet, but still something that would pass on. Uh, but man, this fight's a total pass. Like You can make a perfect argument on both sides. Uh, the, the value is on Devin Clark, especially the, the, the tool set that he brings to this uh, fight. Um, the better cardio, obviously the better wrestling. But we just don't know if he's going to be able to get that, that takedown on that first attempt. If he's... Stuck in this situation where he's like pushing Alonzo Menafield up against the cage, uh, you know, puts his head to a little bit too low. And we see Menafield kind of rock some of those uh, Travis Brown style elbows. It could be a short night for Devin Clark. So I can't trust the chin on Devin Clark. He does have decent value at plus 180. But man, that that chin, like it's just, it's too suspect for me to even touch him at this point. And Alonzo Menafield is probably top five power punchers in this division. So uh, it, it's too scary of a fight. Again, if Menafield is not able to land that punch uh, or that finishing strike, it's going to be a long night for him. But if Devin Clark, um, you know, uh, doesn't really mind his P's and Q's when he's closing the distance or even going for takedowns, he's going to be laying out cold as well too. So this fight's a total pass for me. I'm going to side with Alonzo Menafield as the pick here. Um, that's kind of a, a square-ish pick because you're just banking on the guy to land that knockout punch. But given the, the circumstances that we have here, I got to go with Alonzo Menafield by knockout first round. Um, but yeah total pass just stay away from this fight i'm not even going to bother parlaying uh alonzo menafield either in my hail mary parlay so um menafield first round ko but just stay the fuck away from this fight juice here for miga versus alex perez this fight is currently lined at minus 130 for alex perez plus 110 for Juicier Formiga, and uh, I'm super intrigued to see how this fight plays out. So Juicier Formiga is coming off a decision loss to Brandon Moreno last time around, and the fact that it wasn't a split decision compared to a unanimous decision, a lot of people are just writing that off initially, thinking that, uh, you know, Moreno definitely deserved that. But if you actually go into the MMA decisions uh, page, you see that... Uh, the, the majority of fans actually scored that fight for Juicy Formiga. Uh, it's weird how they actually have it split up. Like You'll see the round-by-round the round percentages fan scoring, but then they'll have the total fan scoring, and the total fan scoring has 29-28. Uh, you know, I think it was like 40% of people had it for Formiga, which was the top score. Um, super close fight. You know, rounds one and three were probably the closest. Um, definitely Formiga in that third round. That first round is the one that you got to like really consider but regardless, 
Um, I think that Formiga isn't completely shot yet, and I think that's uh, the narrative that's going on uh, that's going on out there. Uh, he's 35 years old. Alex Perez, on the other hand, is um, 28, so he's a little bit younger. He has a lot of fight experience, though. For a 28 year old, uh, you know, Perez is coming into this fight uh, with 28 fights under his belt. Formiga is closer to the 30 mark, so they both have relatively the same amount of uh, experience. Uh, they also have a similarity in the fact that they both like to get fights to the ground to be able to implement their their game and their style. Um, you know, the majority of Alex Perez's fights find themselves on the mat besides the, the Jose Torres fight where he was just able to quickly starch uh, Torres in that fight. But, uh, you know pretty often Perez is looking to get this fight to the ground um, obviously it was really tough for him to get the fight uh, where he wanted against Joseph Benavides and Benavides was able to hurt him numerous amounts of times and then finally get the finish over him probably twice in one fight as well too uh, the Mark De La Rosa fight you know that was a fight where you would consider okay this is where we're going to see uh, Perez's top game challenged a little bit you know De La Rosa is primarily a jiu-jitsu fighter that's where his bread and butter is but he just isn't active enough off of his back he seemed a little bit too concerned off of his back uh whereas Juicy Formiga in my opinion is going to be working for sweeps he's going to be working for submissions he's going to be working for reversals um it's kind of similar to like the Tyron Woodley fight uh, against Gilbert Burns. Uh, you don't know if the, the wrestler is going to go out there and try to strike uh, and stay away from the jiu-jitsu of, a, again, a high-level jiu-jitsu player like Gilbert Burns or in this situation, Juicy Formiga. Uh, I think that Perez is going to be forced to, to, to grapple here. Um, you know, he can strike. I think his, his striking is decent. He has decent enough leg kicks as well, too. Uh, but Formiga has that type of striking style where he doesn't really care to, about getting taken down. Like, it's the Damien Maia approach, the Sergio Moraes support approach, um, you know, the Gilbert Burns approach. Just throw pretty much any and everything you want on the feet and don't even worry about getting taken down because if you get taken down, that's kind of your world. Um, I think that Formiga is 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 content with that. Um, and I don't think he necessarily needs to, to, to get a take down here he has decent takedowns especially for a guy that's primarily a jiu-jitsu player um but uh, i think he can get like those weird like back take like his back taking ability is probably one of the best in the game it's it's ridiculous how he how quickly he's able to get the back um so i think like it, it could be almost like a Cron gracie versus alex caceres type thing where he just like latches onto the back um and then kind of drags him to the ground and tries to get it to his realm that way um but again it, I'm intrigued by what Perez's approach is going to be here. Is he just going to try to keep it on the feet? Is he going to try to fuck around with the guard of Juicy Formiga? But with that said, when you're putting your when your strength is the other person's strength, um, I, I, you got to go with the dog here. You know what I mean? Especially with a guy as experienced as Juicy Formiga, who's super high level with his jujitsu. I find it hard to think that Perez is just going to be able to lay on him for three straight rounds or outstrike him for three straight rounds. I don't think that's you know that's pretty credible, especially for a guy that's that's the favorite in this fight um formiga striking has always been improving it's ever improving the brandon moreno fight was just so weird for him because moreno is such an awkward and unorthodox fighter uh great jiu-jitsu great scramble ability as well too uh and i don't think that perez has that scramble ability that that the, the morenos have that the benavides have and that formiga possesses as well too so i, I like the dog here 
you know, I, I like Formiga at that plus 110 line. I can get him at plus 115 at one of my books books as well, too. It seems like there's a lot of Alex Perez love going on out there, but I'm not I'm not seeing it. I'm not completely writing Formiga off at this time. 35 is a, is a little bit up there in age, but I think that he still has enough, and we saw it in that Moreno fight, that he can still get sweeps. He can still quickly go for the back. His, his, his back takes are insane, and... Uh, you know his cardio was up there too was able to get that full mount in the last minute or so of that fight and ride it out there uh, but yeah I think that Perez is going to have his hands full here and uh, I really really like Formiga so I don't know if Formiga would necessarily get the finish but I think that he'll be able to control the grappling exchanges once it hits the ground um, but yeah I'm, I'm going to be I would be very surprised if Alex Perez actually tries to to keep this fight on the feet uh, as I don't think he's the most comfortable there compared to how he is when he's actually you know on top of his opponents uh, implementing his wrestling so this will be the first time we'll see him fight a legitimate high level black belt guy uh at least in the ufc uh so uh yeah i i don't trust his uh top position here i think that formigo would be the better grappler uh, or at least a better jiu-jitsu player and we could see either formiga get like a second round submission or i could see him just you know riding this out from the top um again you know what i'm gonna say second round rear naked choke for formiga uh, yeah, I like him to win this. I like him at dog money as well, too. And he may even be a play as well. So uh, look out for that. But I'm going to take Juicia Formiga to win this fight by second round submission. Mackie Patolo versus Charles Bird. Uh, Mackie Patolo coming in as an underdog in this fight at plus 150, minus 170 for Charles Bird. I'm very intrigued to see how this fight goes strictly uh, due to the fact that Callan Potter sprung off a pretty big upset on, on Mackie Patolo at UFC 243 way back in October. Uh, a couple things going into that fight. You got to think that there's a little bit of nerves going in for Mackie Patolo. Uh, coming off the contender series, and yeah, he has fought for Bellator in the past, but um, you know he had that fight in Bellator uh, in Hawaii, which is where he's from. Uh, but in this fight against Callum Potter, he comes in and in, into enemy territory, into a huge stadium. Uh, you got the entire Australian crowd cheering against you. That's got to play a little bit of mental warfare for yourself. Uh, and then he goes in there, lands some huge shots against Callum Potter, and is just not able to put the guy out. You know, he's landing bombs, uh, like the cleanest shots that you could possibly land. And he's landed on the on people before, um, and, you know, they've gone out, uh, unfortunately for Callum Potter. Uh, or sorry, unfortunately for Mackie Patolo, Callum Potter is just able to eat shots and and really, uh, you know, just push the pace and then eventually uh, implement his own game plan. We saw Mackie Patolo gas in that fight. Um, and that kind of leads you to believe that he may have uh, gas tank issues. Uh, but you got to, you know, take into consideration the fact that this guy's throwing heavy, heavy bombs and landing cleanly too. Yet this guy's still coming forward and still going for takedowns and still making it a very difficult fight. So I'm not completely running off the fact that Mackie Patola has a, a bad gas tank. We did see him go five hard rounds uh, against Cass Cassius uh Kane uh in his victory FC fight uh that was a fight that he actually it was a title fight he came in and missed weight by two about two pounds so even though he came out victorious in that fight uh he did not get to uh you know grab that victory FC strap um 
he did come back in the in the rematch about five months later to fight the same guy and got knocked out uh, in the second five rounds five seconds into the second round, uh, especially in that first round too. He was getting rocked a lot too, so that was very concerning. Um, and then in the Dakota Cochran fight, which was the one after that, uh, had Cochran's back for a while, was not able to to get the rear naked choke finish, and then eventually got guillotined uh, with two seconds left in the second round. So not a good look for him there. Um, you know, he comes onto the contender series, uh, uh, he comes onto the contender series and lands beautiful shots, uh, to the body against Justin Sumter. One of the craziest finishes I've ever seen, at least punches to the body, just ripping left hook straight to the body, uh, makes Sum- Sumter crumple. And then he eventually finishes that fight with, uh, with, uh, some ground and pound. Um, you know, he has great hands good uh, takedowns when he needs to get the takedowns as we saw in the Cassius Kane fight and even in the Dakota Cochran fight um, but I think that his primary uh, game plan is normally to go out there and knock out his opponent with Charles Bird uh, Charles Bird is coming off of two TKO losses uh, Darren Stewart landed beautiful shots up against the cage and was able to finish him a beautiful right elbow that actually planted Charles Bird on his face and then uh, you know uh, that was the end of his night there. And then Edmund Shabazian, you know, um, defending a takedown and then lands those Travis Brown-style elbows to finally put Charles Bird out. Uh, only in 38 seconds, it wasn't that long of a fight. But I'm not completely counting out Charles Bird's chin. You know, he's he's very well-trained as well, too. He's training over at Fortis MMA with Safe Saud. Um, so you know they're coming in with, with a proper game plan. And he's going to have to stand in front of Mackie Patola a little bit here. But... It's pretty evident by watching the tape here that he's going to try getting the fight to the ground and then try, uh, you know, getting some sort of submission. We've seen Patolo again in that Callan Potter fight. When he's not able to knock his opponent out, he really starts sucking wind and he gives up takes. He gives up takedowns quite easily. So if he's not able to put Charles Bird out in that first round or so, you know Bird's going to be going out, going for those takedowns early and often, try to wear out Mackie Patolo and then go for the finish. I'm kind of siding with the grappler here, even though we've seen him got not, seen him get knocked out in his last two fights. I, I'm not completely writing his chin off, um, you know, unless coconut bombs go goes out there and lands a, a crazy bomb. Um, I, I could see Charles Bird grinding grinding him against the cage, getting this fight to the ground, and I don't mind him at the 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 money that he's at right now. Minus one seventy is not that bad of a line. Um, I believe that we'll see a little bit of uh, Mackie Patolo money start to come in as well. So I'm going to hold off. But I really like Charles Bird in this spot. Uh, I wasn't expecting to really have a play going into this fight, but I really like Charles Bird. Um, I love his his efficiency in terms of getting fights to the ground and and really making use of his time down there. Um, I think he's going to ha- you know be able to keep Patolo down. Um, especially if this fight gets past the first round, I could definitely see Bird getting him down making it very difficult for Patolo to get back up. And we could possibly see a bird uh, submission victory here. Um, We've seen Patolo obviously get submitted in the past, uh, most notably uh, Dakota Cochran uh, via guillotine choke. And that's from, in my opinion, Patolo kind of gassing out um, from trying to get the finish of the rear naked choke on, on Cochran. I like bird here. You know, Uh, I believe he has a little bit of power on the feet. He's, He's good enough on the feet to hang around, um, but then we obviously know that he's going to want to get this fight to the ground. I think Darren Stewart has better takedown defense than Mackie Patolo. Um, and again, the gas tank issues. That's that's the main thing about Patolo. In that five-round uh, fight that he had against Cassius Kane, he was able to go all five rounds because he was able to get his opponent down 
and then kind of rest on top while landing shots every now and then so he wasn't really forced to work as much obviously it's a little bit exhausting to hold an opponent down but you know you get to rest a little bit more when you when you're on top of an opponent rather than trying to defend your uh hat or rather than trying to have uh, good striking defense you know that's going to deteriorate deteriorate well, i don't know why i can't speak right now <laughs> that's going to deteriorate a lot more than it will uh if you're on the ground so uh, i think that bird will be able to weather any storms uh that coconut bombs try to throw at him in that first round uh but he will be able to get patolo down he will be able to sink sink in either a submission or at least grind this fight out for three rounds either way i like charles bird here i don't mind the minus 170 price tag on him to be honest uh but again i will wait this week out a little bit longer and see if we can get a better line on charles bird but i definitely like him um yeah, I think I'm going to take Charles Bird to win this, win this fight by second round submission. Brian Kelleher versus Cody Stamen. This is a quick fight or a quick turnaround for Brian Kelleher here uh, who had just knocked out Hunter Azure way back at UFC 249. Big win for him there. Uh, I believe it was, no, actually it was the event, the Wednesday event, whatever it was, the Smith versus Tashir event. So this is a very quick turnaround for him. Uh, you know, didn't take too much damage, damage in the Hunter Azure fight. And uh, I think this is similar to the Hunter fight. However, I feel I feel like uh, Cody is a much uh, much more experienced, much better cardio, much better wrestling, uh, much better fight IQ as well, uh, and again, much better striking too uh, than Hunter Azure. I think that what we saw in the Hunter Azure fight was that uh, you know Hunter seemed to fall a little bit too in love with the with the with the striking, and I feel like his his pacing and and his cardio for that type of fight was not up to par with Brian Kelleher who much prefers this fight to be on the feet you know Kelleher looked way in way better shape than than Hunter come that second round and I think that just the fact that Hunter wasn't used to that type of fight you know he's used to getting fighters to the ground uh, early and often and I think that really was a contributing factor as to why he was as tired as he was in that second round and you know his 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 striking defense just wasn't there uh, Hunt, uh Brian Kelleher was able to land a beautiful lead left hook drop hunter azure and finish him in that fight however in this fight against cody stamen i think we see stamen with a little bit better of a gas tank than hunter especially if this fight plays out in the in the striking realm for a little bit longer than it should but i think that cody has a better uh has better timing and a better ability to mix his uh you know wrestling in with his striking and you know using that mma wrestling per se uh to be able to get the fight to the ground into a realm where he's able to not completely exert himself or not completely gas himself and kind of ride out on top of brian kelleher you know i'll give it up to brian kelleher a big one against hunter azure uh you know completely busted my locker than i played that night but i don't think he's going to be able to do it two times in a row i really like cody stamen here um again i like his movement um you know this fight being at 45 as well too he's going to be able to have a slightly better cardio um you know he's going to be even stronger it, he looks like the the physically much stronger guy here too so i think it will be a little bit easier for him to implement his uh his wrestling and actually get this fight to the ground obviously the only thing that he needs to worry about on his entries is the his neck and i did see you know uh, against song Yidan when there were uh, opportunities for him to get this fight to the ground and he grappled up against him you know he he raises his head to try to slam song Yidan, and that's kind of a, a dangerous uh, position where Brian Kelleher may look to actually like snatch up a, a guillotine choke. However, I think that Cody Stamen's too too smart for that. I, I don't think that we'll see Cody Stamen uh, get snatched up with a, with a guillotine choke. That's got to be like 
game plan numero uno whenever you're going in against Ryan Kelleher and you're a wrestler. So I think that we'll see Cody Staben actually be able to, you know, we saw him take some shots from Xiang Yudong and then we saw him eventually wear on him and eventually get this fight to the ground and, and ride out top position like that. I think we'll see a little bit more of a, a resistance from Brian Kelleher, but eventually Cody Stamen will eventually, uh, you know, get, get this fight to the ground uh, and work his game the way he does. Um, again, I am way more confident in Cody Stamen than I am Hunter Azure, you know, from the from the stand-up to the wrestling, uh, to the cardio as well, too. I, I think that Cody could absolutely outpace uh, a Hunter Azure, and then he'll be able to do that to Brian Kelleher here, too. So there's there's two paths to victory for Brian Kelleher because he's not going to win a decision here. He needs to either knock out Cody Stamen or get the guillotine choke. I don't see either of them, those happening either of those happening here against Cody Stamen, who, in my opinion, has a decent chin. Um, again, moves well, great head movement, uh, uses that karate style every now and then to, to land some kicks. Beautiful kicks, too. You know, he, uh, I forgot which fight it was, uh, the Alejandro Perez fight. You know, we saw numerous times where he kicks the lead leg of Alejandro Perez. Perez switches stances, and then we see uh, Cody Stamen like kind of teep the knee of Alejandro Perez. I love small things like that just because it's it keeps Cody Stamen active. It keeps him uh, very aware. And that's one thing that I like about Cody as well, too. In between, you know, when he's talking to his corner in between rounds, like he's legit talking to them. He He's... He's taking the time to get his gas back, but he's also like conversing with him, showing that he's actually fully aware and fully in the moment of what he's doing and and very, uh, you know, present uh, to be able to implement what he needs to for the following round. So again, I like Cody Stamen here. I think he's going to get the takedown early and often. Uh, he's roughly around minus 265. I, I'm i absolutely certain that we'll see some Brian Kelleher money coming throughout this week. So I'm going to keep an eye on that. Um, but uh, yeah, I like Cody Stamen here. Possible lock of the night play. You know, last week I kind of fucked up, man. I, I should have taken that Casey Kenny uh, line, even if it was minus 270. I felt he was going to go in there and absolutely demolish Louis Smolka. I expect Cody Stamen to kind of do the same thing here. Maybe not finish Kelleher, but probably like take him to a decision. Uh, but I think that it would be... Uh, you know, the first two and a half minutes or so are going to be a little bit sketchy. But after that, uh, I think that Cody Stamen will be able to will be able to implement his game, get the takedowns, uh, even in the second round, third round, and then uh, you know ride out Kelleher in that that fashion. So I'm taking Kelleher, or sorry, I'm taking Stamen to win this fight by decision. Um, and uh, yeah, I may be betting the the juicy line here. Uh, I think we'll even see the minus two fifty. So I'll keep my eye out for that. But I do like uh, Cody Stamen to win this fight by decision. Gerald Mearshart versus Ian Heinisch. The line on this is currently minus 130 uh, for Ian Heinisch, plus 110 for Gerald Mearshart. This fight's kind of tough to get a read on. Uh, so let's start off with Ian Heinisch. This guy seems to have cardio for days, but in turn, it seems to uh, not really translate with his activity. If we remember the, the Derek Brunson fight and the Omari Akhmedov fights, he is bouncing around and moving a lot in front of these guys, but he's not really throwing anything. And he's not really uh, able to get his wrestling off, which is how he normally grinds out most of his opponents uh, against guys like Omari and Derek, who are great wrestlers themselves. I'm not sure how much he's going to want to engage in the grappling and the wrestling against Gerald Mearshart here, who's also quite, uh, you know, a very tough uh, grappler, great jujitsu, um, you know. Uh, he's very gritty. It seems like he has uh, gas tank issues every now and then, uh, but he's still there in that third round uh, when people are counting him out. Um, 
the under two and a half is something that I considered. Plus 160 is kind of interesting. You know, we could see maybe Ian really put that pace on uh, Gerald, finally start putting his punches together, kind of overwhelm Gerald, and maybe get a TKO, uh, you know, late second round, early third round. Uh, or we could see Gerald Mearstrike kind of hurt Ian Heinish in that first round, uh, you know, and get him to the ground and then eventually snatch up a submission. But to be honest, I'm not confident on either guy here. And the price tag is pretty good on on both sides, in my opinion. I just don't know which side I trust a little bit more. Um, Gerald Nurshar is just, he's just not the fastest either. You know, that's one thing that's kind of concerning. I think Heinish will have the speed advantage here. He should be able to hit Mearshart and get in and out. Um, but Mearshart, again, very tough and gritty guy. Uh, uses his job very long. Um has decent boxing it's definitely been uh it was definitely showing true in that duran win fight where he was able to stun win before he was able to finally get that rear naked choke finish but um i'm not sure if he's going to be as successful against ian heinish here who obviously is in five foot six <laughs> so uh man it's it's so tough to get a to get a read here i'm gonna i'm gonna lean on the the ian heinish side just due to the fact that i like guys with slightly better cardio my only concern is here gonna be his output is he gonna you know leg kick gerald mirchard is he gonna uh, let his hands go uh later on in this fight um yeah, I, I like Heinish. Uh, his resiliency in like grappling situations is very impressive too. The way that he was able to stay out of the submissions of ACJ uh, and you know Granby roll out of all these positions um, is very very impressive. Um, I, I'm 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 a big believer in his submission defense, so I think it'll be harder for GM3 to really pull off a submission here. Again, outside of rocking Heinish early and then going for a sub. It, it's going to be tough for him to get that. I like Heinish here. I just I don't think I'll be playing him. Minus 130 is a decent line, but again, just so tough to to trust at this point. I believe I had him as a lock of the night play against Derek Brunson. Uh, not 100% sure about that. I may have just played him straight as well too. Um, not as big as lock of the night play, but yeah, that fight really uh, demoralized me in terms of uh, the potential I thought I had or he had. Uh, and then obviously the Omari Akhmeta fight was another one where you thought that, okay, Okay, this guy's great cardio. Um, he should be able to outwork and outpace Omari to go on for a, for at least a decision or get a late finish. He wasn't even able to do that, so that's that was quite con concerning. So hopefully here he's finally learned his lesson where he's going to be, you know, finally letting his hands go a little bit more, uh, you know, letting his kicks go, just being the more active fighter here. As long as he doesn't get clipped or anything by Gerald Mirchard, he should be able to get in and out without really taking too much significant damage. So I really like Ian Heinish here, uh, but again, just not enough to actually place the bet. So I'll go with Ian Heinish to win this fight by third round TKO after he's going to out cardio and outpace Gerald Mirchard. Alex Caceres versus Chase Hooper. Uh, weird fight here. Chase Hooper is still super freaking young. A lot of people seem to be jumping on his bandwagon here. Uh, his line is currently at minus 165, plus 145 for Alex Caceres. Uh, this line actually opened at a pick -em. And we have seen it gradually move down to a minus 165 for Chase Hooper. So let's start off with that young kid. He's 9-0-1, has one draw on his record uh, from his th fourth last fight. Um on cffc uh i like the kid you know uh he has a lot of charisma he has a lot of personality uh he's uh, easily marketable as well too does a great job on social media uh i think the ceiling is very high for this kid uh however i think this is a tough matchup for him against alex caceres 
Caceres is a very, very tough vet. Uh, and I mean that with the pun because he was on the Ultimate Fighter. I believe it was the George St. Pierre and Josh Koscheck series. Uh, that was way back in the day. Uh, but he's been around the block. He's he's fought a ton of guys. Uh, and this is going to be a very stiff test for Chase Hooper. So we know it's pretty evident. You know, this kid wants to get the fight to the ground. Uh, he wants to implement his jiu-jitsu. Uh, we did see him kind of you know, mess around with the feet and, and try to implement his striking in that LaShawn uh, Alcox fight. And uh, he paid for it dearly in that third round. Uh, I believe it was at the end of the first or second round as well, too, where he ate a big shot uh, pretty much right at the buzzer. But um, he's still a work in progress. You know, he's working with Jeff Hoagland on those guys, who is also a former UFC vet. Um, you know, uh, he has a ton of work to do, in my opinion. His jiu-jitsu, obviously, he's been doing it since he was four or five years old, which is insane, so he has a ton of experience there. Uh, but his striking still looks a little bit awkward. His striking defense isn't the best. Uh, he's kind of lucky that he's long and lanky, so he's able to kind of use his, uh, his, his length a little bit more. Obviously, again, that's still another work in progress. Um, you know, what one thing that I do find is that he finds himself in a lot of these submission situations uh, where he's like close to, to locking up a choke or, or an arm bar or something like that. But it just doesn't seem like he has the, the, the strength to really complete those. You know, Daniel, Daniel Tamer was able to get out of a, um, a rear naked choke. Um, Kanan Kawaii, uh, which was the, um, uh, which was the contender series fight uh, that he had back in 2018. Uh, he had plenty of finishing opportunities, plenty of times where he had the back um, and a couple of submissions locked in, uh, but was just not able to finish it. You know, we saw uh, whenever there was a rear naked choke, uh, Kanan was able to peel the hands down uh, and and save himself from that. So it shows that uh, if there is somebody with a little bit of strength, they should be able to like peel away Chase Hooper's hands. Um, I don't think the minus 165 line is a, is a justifiable line for this kid. I I think he still has a lot of learning to do. And again, I think he has a ton of potential, but Alex Caceres is a very tough out. Let's let's go over and look over at Chase uh, Alex Caceres' uh, resume. You know, he's had a lot of on and offs. Uh, in his last five, he's three and two. Um, but one fight that I kind of looked at, and I know it's a little bit of uh, a while ago. It's actually getting close to damn near the four-year anniversary of this fight. But the Cole Miller fight, um, another lanky guy, super high-level jiu-jitsu, black belt under Ricardo Laborio. Um, he had uh, Caceres in some bad spots, and Caceres did a really good job with his submission defense, you know, peeling hands down for rear naked chokes, uh, spinning out of arm bars, really, really, uh, you know, he knows what he's doing on the ground. He's very well-trained as well, too, over at the MMA lab with Benson Henderson and John Crouch and those guys, so he knows what he's doing on the ground. And I don't know if Chase Hooper is the one that's going to be actually be able to to submit him. I think we'll see Caceres have a ton of success on the feet. Uh, you know, he's a little bit long too. He's going to be giving up a little bit of size here. Five uh, ten compared to the six one of Chase Hooper. Uh, but I think the strength, the slight strength advantage that Caceres will have here will allow him to stay out of any submissions that uh, Chase Hooper tries to lock in or anything like that. Um, the you know Cron Gracie obviously was able to get the back of Alex Caceres and, and uh, promptly submit him there, but I don't think Chase Hooper will be um, capable of that type of uh, jujitsu or that type of strength as well too. You know, Caceres was fighting that choke all the way up until the point that uh, you know the 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 arm was finally under his chin. Uh, but Cron was finally able to get that tap there. But, you know, he defended really good chokes, again, from Cole Miller, uh, from even Steven Peterson himself, too, who uh, has a ton of uh, submission victories under his belt as well. 
So I, I think it really comes down to the strength here. I think Chase still needs to grow a little bit. I think he still needs to put on a little bit of muscle. I'm not saying that he needs to go out there and look like freaking Uberim or anything like that, but he still needs to 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 allow the strength to get in there so that he can start choking out these uh, older guys that have a little bit more strength than him. Um, you know, jujitsu is the one art that you don't really need to be the strongest guy to be able to pull off submissions. But at a certain point, you know strength does come into play uh and caceres isn't like the strongest guy out there but we do know he is going to have the strength advantage here um i w it's hard to cap in terms of the improvements that we're going to see from chase super from fight to fight so he may come out here looking you know a little bit longer a little bit, or not longer but but stronger and bigger uh, but again, I, I still like Caceres on the feet. I think he's just more refined on the feet. He moves very well. The fact that he was able to beat Steven Peterson pretty much with one hand for two rounds of that fight uh, is very impressive. And I think that obviously Steven Peterson has a better striking than Chase Hooper too. Um, yeah, minus 165, do not bet Chase Hooper here. Um, if you can get a closer line, then maybe I think there's a little bit of value on him. But I think the value here lays on Alex Caceres. And at plus 145, I probably would pull the trigger. I'm not 100% sure yet. But again, uh, I'm, I'm looking at the, the rest of the card and seeing where I can place my money. And that's already, uh, you know, Rocco Martin is the live dog in my opinion. And I think that Alex Caceres, this might be a line that actually gets better and better. I think a lot of people are going to look at that Crone Gracie fight and look and be like, look, fucking Caceres got tapped out just two fights ago. Or even look, Steven Peterson was able to get him down, get his back, and he should probably, you know, if Steven Peterson got his back, Chase Hooper's probably going to get his back too. That's the way some people might think. And if you go into this with that thought process, you're overlooking the fact that we've seen Chase Hooper, you know, get into positions where he's, uh, you know, had submissions sunk in but the the lack of strength has not allowed it to to go to completion so uh yeah i like caceres here again better on the feet good enough on the ground that he should be able to stay out of any crazy subs uh but i like uh i like caceres here man um i'll look to see if i'm actually going to bet it not 100 percent, but i'm going to go with caceres by decision uh and this would be this would be a good learning lesson for chase hooper as i believe he does have a ton of talent he's still super young i do want to confirm his age i believe he's 20 yeah he's 20 he'll be 21 in september um but yeah it's still, still a lot of growing and learning for this kid to do but i, I i'm very very excited to see what he brings to the table in terms of a, a jujitsu background um you know especially as long as he's been doing it from the age that he's been doing it um yeah I, i'm excited to see what he has to bring in the future but this is a tough fight for him and alex caceres so i'm going to be taking caceres by decision eddie Weinland versus sugar sean o'malley this fight's a super fun fight i can't wait for this one minus for minus 485 for sean o'malley plus 385 for eddie Weinland, the vet um the line that i'm most intrigued by in this fight is the over one and a half we got minus 150 on that plus 130 on the under one and a half but uh i feel like this fight will have a bit of a feeling out process in it you know, Sean O'Malley was pretty much just given a softball in his return after all of his USADA shit that he had to deal with in the past. But uh, he came in against Jose Alberto Quinones at UFC 248 back in March and uh, just put on an absolute clinic. You know, he seemed very calm and composed, but he was still able to dispatch Jose Quinones within two minutes of that fight. You know, Jose is not the most uh, comfortable on the feet. Uh, 
for God's sakes, the guy has jujitsu tattooed on his chest. So if you don't know what his game plan is going to be or what he wants to do, uh, you got to be pretty fucking blind. But, uh, you know, Sean O'Malley was able to keep him at range with kicks. Uh, he moved very well, too. Whenever there was any, uh, you know, w- whenever Sean O'Malley had his back against the cage or close to that danger zone and that warning track, uh, he did a good job of, like, faking Kononas out and, and getting out of the way. Um Eddie Wineland, on the other hand, you know, very heavy power puncher. Uh, he's a vet in the game, was one of the first ever WEC champs. Uh, you know, he's coming off a big win over Grigory Popov uh, way back in June. Uh, he was actually scheduled to fight Marlon Vera in March, and then obviously the whole COVID should happen. But here he is against Sean O'Malley. Uh, he has the opportunity to derail a hype train here. Uh, similar hype train to Chase Hooper in my opinion, but I feel like Sean O'Malley is a little bit more warranted and his skills are a little bit tighter. And uh, it's 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 very uh, encouraging and very um, positive that we see Sean O'Malley going out there and competing in these things like quintet and these other grappling matches um, strictly to see him you know, working on the, the weaknesses in his game. It's obvious from watching his fighting style that he wants to go out there and try to knock you out, try to be flashy with it. Um, and I am impressed. I like the kid. I, I think he has a ton of talent. Uh, this is a stiff test against Eddie Wineland, who hits very, very hard. Luckily for Sean O'Malley, um, this is a fight where his movement, his range, and his kicking should allow him to have a lot of success here. Eddie Wineland winds up and, and just throws pretty much everything into all of his shots and it's pretty easy to be able to like see what's coming, uh, be a little bit, um, you know, Eddie Wineland does telegraph his shots a little bit. Eddie Wineland starting at 5'7". We got 5'11 for Sugar Sean O'Malley. 72-inch reach compared to the 69-inch reach. So with O'Malley having, you know, that 4-inch reach advantage roughly, or 4-inch height advantage roughly, that should help in his ability to keep this fight or at least to keep Eddie Wineland on the outside. The reason I like the over 1.5 here is because I don't think that Sean O'Malley is going to try to go out there and go crazy looking for the finish like he did against Jose Canones. I think he's going to respect the power of Eddie Wineland. We could see him dancing around a little bit more, throwing more kicks to the leg, try to set up the the kicks to the body and the kicks to the head. Uh, but I, I see him taking a, a delicate approach in this fight. Um, the minus 150 is not that bad of a line. Um, to be honest, I thought they would have actually put it at two and a half. If that was the case, the under in that aspect probably would have been a nice play. Uh, but I, I like the over one and a half in this fight. I do think O'Malley will get this done. I think he just, you know, being the younger guy, uh, being the more versatile guy, very rarely do we see Eddie Wineland actually throw kicks. He's mainly, you know, he's all about his hands. Uh, We did see him try to attempt a couple takedowns against Grigory Popov. Popov was able to get up pretty much immediately. I highly doubt that we see uh, a grapple-heavy approach from Eddie Wineland here. I think he's still going to just go out there and try to take the kid's head off. I think he's going to feel very disrespected as well by the betting line here, pretty much being a three and a half to one favorite or underdog um sorry let me just confirm that line one more time yeah plus 385 i think he's going to take that as a spit in the face and he's going to try to go out there and just absolutely murk sean o'malley by trying to knock him out or something like that and that's just going to play into o'malley's game so i see again o'malley's probably going to take his time here work the outside and then eventually start to open up the rest of his game which is why i like the over one and a half so i am taking o'malley um, I think he's parlay worthy. You know, minus four eighty five is a little bit like steep, but I think it uh, it is worthy there. Um, however, 
If you want to make a straight play on this, I don't think Eddie Wineland's worth the underdog money, but I do think the over one and a half here is very, very good. So I'll take O'Malley to win this fight by a third round TKO. Um, probably even a decision. Eddie Wine, you know what? I would say decision. Eddie Wineland's quite durable. He hasn't been finished since uh, Johnny Eduardo uh, way back in 2000 and 2014. It's been a long time since he's been finished. And then before that, obviously, he got finished by Hendon Brow back in 2013 when he fought for the title. But I like Sean O'Malley here. I'm going to take him to win by a decision. Uh, but check out that over one and a half because I think there's a little bit of value there. Anthony Rocco Martin versus Neil Magny. Very intriguing fight we got here. Minus 155 for Neil Magny, plus 135 for Anthony Rocco Martin. So let's start off with Neil Magny. Um, coming off a good victory over Li Jing Liang last time around, I did have a uh, dog of the night play on him, and I got him around that plus 150 mark. I was very happy with the performance that he put on there. I just think a lot of people at that time were um, overestimating the talent and and uh, skill level of Li Jingliang. I still think that Li is a good fighter. I just think that people were completely, you know, too high on him and also discrediting Neil Magny too much uh, despite his, um, you know, complete annihilation that he suffered against uh, Santiago Ponzinibbio the fight before that. And yeah, it was a pretty lengthy layoff that he had after that uh, Ponzinibbio fight, but he came back very rejuvenated, uh, reinvigorated, uh, and, and put on a great performance against Li Jingliang problem here though was that he didn't uh, you know have to put up with much resistance from Li Jingliang other than having to worry about uh, big power punches coming to the head you know Li's game isn't really uh, flexible outside of that he's good at striking and once he gets into his groove and he's able to land big shots he continues to to put it on and, and gain more confidence throughout the fight he just wasn't able to do that here against Neil Magny which is why Magny was able to take over Magny got into his groove. We saw him kind of dancing around, landing beautiful jabs. His footwork was beautiful. Uh, and he looked very powerful in there too. He's always been a big guy, you know, standing 6'3 with an 81-inch reach. One of, one of the bigger guys for the welterweight division, but he's quite skinny. <laughs> um, his legs are like toothpicks almost. And... Um, I think anybody with a good leg kick, as we saw with Santiago Ponzinibbio, could definitely give him troubles. And that's what I think we kind of get with Anthony Rocco Martin here. Um, Martin had that uh, setback to Damian Mayo, which isn't anything to really worry about before that. But before that, he had four straight victories over uh, Keita Nakamura, Ryan LaFleur, Jake Matthews, and Sergio Moraes. Uh, and then lost to Maya and then came back and won a good, uh, vic- uh, had a good performance against Ramazan Amiv, who in my opinion was is probably one of the more efficient and better fighters out there. So to see uh, Roko Martin go out there and put on that type of performance against Amiv, I was very, very impressed. Uh, you know, Martin has pretty good hands, uh, a good sense of distance. Um, great leg kicks as well too, which I believe is going to be the the X factor here. Uh, if he's able to work that leg early and often for Magni, I think Magni is going to be limping a little bit, just like he uh, he was in that Santiago Ponzinibbio fight. Um, you know, Lee just does not throw as many leg kicks as Rocco, and Rocco knows, and I'm sure he saw it in that Santiago fight that if you establish that leg kick early and often, you're going to have success against Neil Magni moving forward, and I think that that's what he's going to do. It's pretty much what he did in that Sergio Moraes fight. Beat up that front leg, really took the power and the pop off of those crazy Hail Mary uh, uh, overhands that Sergio Moraes likes to throw, and also takes the pop off the the, the potential takedown threat. Um, 
you know, Neil Magny is a strong guy. I'm, I don't think he's going to want to get this fight to the ground. I think he's going to try to, uh, you know, utilize his footwork and utilize his uh, head movement. Good jobs again, decent striking, good output, uh, and great cardio. But the thing with Roko is, you know, Roko doesn't have the worst cardio. He's he's pretty good. Uh, his output is decent. Uh, but again, leg kicks, leg kicks, leg kicks. If he's able to establish that, get that calf kick going, uh, it's going to be a long night for Neil Magny. And that will definitely open up the hands and kicking opportunities for Anthony Rocco Martin once he establishes those leg kicks. And, you know, you'd have to be a dummy not to realize that that's kind of a glaring, uh, uh, you know, flaw in Neil Magny's game. And Magny does move well and he switches stances decently. But uh, again, he, he will leave that leg out there for you to kick. And I think that Rocco Martin is going to look to kick the shit out of that leg. Uh, again, coming from a ga- great uh, camp with the uh, American top team, uh, great game planning there too. Um, you know, people can say what they want in terms of seeing improvements from Neil Magny in his last fight. But he's always been good. You know, he's always had uh, skill. He's always had talent. It's just that Santiago Ponzinibbio fight, he just looked horrible. You know, Ponzinibbio was just a very bad stylistic matchup for him. Uh, so I definitely like Anthony Rocco Martin to win here. I want to take him by decision. And I think he's definitely worth the play at the dog money that he's at. So I might be making a bet on him uh, closer to fight day. Uh, but that plus 135 is very, very intriguing. Plus 140 at a couple places too. So it's definitely worth a shot there. Uh, but I like uh, Rocco Martin to win here by decision. And it's all depending on that leg kick. If he gets that going, catch that catch that bet, baby. Aljamain Sterling versus Corey Sandhagen. Far and away, this is the fight that I'm most intrigued by on this card, and the odds obviously reflect that, um, and a lot of people feel the same way. It's at even money, minus 110 at most places. Uh, other places, you'll see that uh, Corey Sandhagen is the very slight underdog, uh, and I'm not totally sure why. So let's get into Corey Sandhagen right off the bat. Um, coming into tape, I actually thought I'd be going with Aljamain Sterling. Uh, but after running the tape a little bit, man, I'm even more and more impressed by Corey Sandhagen uh, with every outing that he has. Now, first and foremost, uh, he hasn't really fought a guy like Aljamain Sterling. Like, the closest you'll get is a guy like Yuri Alcantara and Mario Bautista, uh, but those guys are, like, you know, far and away. Uh, very, very, still very different from what Aljamain Sterling brings to the cage. I'm talking about guys that are, like, lanky-ish, have decent jiu-jitsu, um, you know, Aljamain Sterling, way better jiu-jitsu than those guys, way better wrestling, way stronger, longer, um, you know, more unorthodox with his striking too, uh, compared to Alcantara and Bautista, that is, uh, but man, Corey Sandhagen, every time he steps into the cage, there's always something more and more that we see from him, uh, that continues to impress me. Uh, that Alcantara fight was crazy. You know, he he got hurt early, uh, was able to, uh, you know, survive an arm triangle as well as a, an arm bar as well. So that was very impressive. And then come back and then come back in that same round and lay a beating on Alcantara. And you could argue, arguably have stopped that fight too. Uh, and then he ends up finishing that fight one minute into the next round. Um, the the Asuncao fight was really his coming out party, but in a sense, you know, Asuncao is one of the top guys, and it's kind of mind blowing to me that actually Asuncao and Garbrandt are culminating over this, as this is probably uh, the number one contender fight in most people's eyes. Uh, but yeah, he looked really good in that fight. You know, he kept Asuncao on the outside, and then even when Asuncao tried to implement the jujitsu, Corey Sanhagen just seemed to see seemed to be a step ahead of him pretty much the entire time. Um, 
I love his movement. I love his exits whenever he's coming in to, to land a couple shots. He's always uh, exiting on an angle. Um, you know, very good footwork. His jiu-jitsu is ever improving. He's a brown belt at this point. He's probably a black belt, you know, soon to be, uh, especially if he's able to pull off a submission over Aljamain Sterling. Definitely a black belt at that point. Um, uh, his cardio is great. Um, you know, the guys that he's working with uh, over at Team Elevation in Denver, those guys are, are, are nothing but positive for him. Uh, and the fact that they've had him since he was like, you know, a very, very young kid. I believe his background is he tried playing basketball and then just wanted to do MMA to, 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 to stay fit. And then he just eventually like just just stayed the course and just became such a phenomenal MMA fighter. Uh, his record is 12-1. and one. He only had one loss way back against Jamal Emmers um, in a fight that, you know, he probably could have won, uh, but he was still quite young in his career. He's 28 at this point, um, born in 92. It's it's so weird when I start seeing guys that are born uh, before me, but then again, I'm closing in on 30 in, in about a year's time, so it is what it is there. Uh, but yeah, I love Corey Sandhagen here. Again, great fighting style, uh, great movement, uh, always seems a, a step ahead of his opponent. Um, the only thing that's really concerning is the fact that uh, Hafa was able to 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 latch on to the back of Corey Sanhagen and try to drag him to the ground, and it seemed like you go you could almost get him to the ground, uh, not with too much resistance, but once it got there, you know Corey really you know threw his jujitsu cap on and was able to stay ahead of the game, just as I said earlier. So I'm not too worried if Aljamain Sterling gets this fight to the ground. So let's get over to, to Aljamain Sterling. He's coming off a victory over Pedro Munoz in a fight where Pedro just pretty much just walked him down the entire time. Was landing leg kicks at will. Seemed to hurt uh, Aljo a little bit later in the fight. Um, but Aljo was still able to come out on the on the winning end. Uh, he was able to keep Pedro on the outside. Land nice kicks. Land nice jabs. Uh, didn't really want to mess with the jiu-jitsu. So didn't even bother try taking the fight to the ground uh, with too much urgency. Um here with Corey Sandhagen, I think he's going to want to try to get a hold of Sandhagen. I think he, he might even take like the approach that he did in the Jimmy Rivera fight. And a lot of people can say, and Jimmy can say it himself too, that you know he just he's not feeling it that night. His exact words to his coaches in between rounds two and three. Um, it, it's tough to believe that though. You know what I mean? Like, like it's, it's like the Kamar Usman and Tyron Woodley thing. Um, you know... There, Alexander Volkanovsky versus Max Holloway. Same thing. There's certain guys that are able to just take a game plan and implement it against certain guys, and uh, and and throw them off their game. And Aljo's clear game plan there was to to kind of clench fuck Jimmy Rivera up against the cage, uh, try to make it difficult for him to to move. Um, you know, just really suck the wind out of him by squeezing him up against the cage, and. You know, he he put in the work there for that the beginning of that fight, and it paid off for the rest of the fight because he was able to keep Jimmy on the end there. Here, though, it's going to be tough for him to to do the same thing to to Corey Sandhagen, in my opinion. Corey Sandhagen, Corey Sandhagen is going to have roughly a three to four inch uh, height advantage. Uh, the reach is going to be relatively the same, but I think that. Uh, it's going to be harder for Aljo to really just keep him up against the cage and try to drain him that way. And even if he tries to take this fight to the ground, I'm a believer of Corey Sanhagen's jiu-jitsu. The, the kid's very crafty. Um, 
you know, Aljo, I, I'm still not 100% sold on his striking. Uh, he's very unorthodox on the feet, likes to throw a lot of spinning kicks, likes to throw a lot of teeps. Um, you know, his hands still need a little bit of work. He does well when he's fighting guys that are shorter and he's trying to just keep them at range. So he's able to kind of just paw out with his lead hand and then just bring that uh, the power hand down the middle just to kind of keep them away. I think he's going to have trouble doing that here against Corey Sandhagen. This is the first time he's fought somebody that moves the way that Corey Sandhagen does. Um, and I think that's going to be very tricky for him to get over. Um, obviously, with this whole... Um, uh, COVID thing that's going on. He's not able to have his main coaches there either. You know, he has Ray Longo and Matt Serra, who normally are in his coaches, are, are in his corners. Uh, but this time around, it's just like a bunch of uh, fighters that he's brought out to Vegas with him. I think Ally Quinta is one of them as well, too. So that is a bit of a, you know, a bit of a con here for Aljo. Um, you know, he's so used to having the the boisterous uh, vocals of Ray Long on Matt Serra in his corner. Uh, here, he's going to have to resort to, to Al Iaquinta a little bit more. And yeah, they can say what they want about, you know, okay, they've covered the bases uh, with their coaches beforehand, so they don't really have to worry about, um, you know, they, they don't really have to worry uh, about not getting the best corner advice. And I'm not sure how much they'll be able to, like, text their uh, text Ally Quinto or anything in between rounds or during rounds or something, and be like, hey, shore up these things. Uh, but that's definitely not as effective as actually being there in person. And I get it. You know, they're, they're, they're erring on the side of caution by not coming out there. But I think it's a detriment for one of their star pupils who's in a very, very important fight here. A win here could easily secure a title shot for either guy. And I think that, uh, you know, Corey having his coaches there, and again, that's just a, a small uh, factor in this fight, but uh, I like Corey, man. I, I think the kid has a ton of potential. His cardio is off the chain, obviously training over in Colorado. Um, yeah, I think it's just going to be hard for Alto to really get a... a uh, you know, a target, uh, a set target on uh, Corey Sandigan, the way he was able to against uh, most of their opponents, because they're not, they're more stationary compared to what Corey's going to bring here. And I think with that, you know, Corey's going to expose the striking of Aljamain Sterling. I think he's going to stay on his bicycle. I think he's going to continuously move, kick the leg, and then just, you know, have his, you know, enter land a couple shots, exit on an angle, not really worry about, uh, you know, getting t too much damage. My only concern in this fight, and um, originally I was going to stay away from this fight, but man, like it's, that 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 line on Corey signing is just too nice to pass up at this point. Um, the, the only concern is if Aljo does overpower him. I do think that Aljo has a strength here. He is a very strong grappler. He's able to pretty much impose his will uh, on most of his opponents. But I think just Corey's a little bit too crafty, a little bit too uh, slick, uh, especially when it comes to his jiu-jitsu, that he'll stay out of uh, super bad positions uh, against Aljamain Sterling. So I think the unorthodox nature of Aljamain Sterling's fighting approach may not work out here because he's going to get his face boxed off by, by Corey Sandhagen here. Whenever he's going to try to just stay and try to gauge distance with his lead hand, he's going to eat a, uh, eat a shot right down the middle, and then he's not even going to know what hit him because Corey Sandhagen is not going to be there to be hit. So... I love Sandhagen here, a very slight underdog, but I'm, I'm liking him. Uh, I might go 1 to 1.5 units on the kid. Uh, and uh, again, the, again, going into this fight, one, I, I thought that I wasn't going to bet it, and I thought I was going to pick Aljamain Sterling. Uh, and two, I, I thought I was going to pick Aljamain Sterling. <laughs> Pretty simple. Uh, I 
pretty much covered both points in that first point. But regardless, uh, that's why you do the tape study. That's why you do the actual research yourself. Don't listen to other people. Go in there, do your own work, watch the fights, look at the statistics, do what you got to do, and come to your own conclusion. And that's exactly what I did. Like you can have a pre re or a pre search. I forgot who it was that actually gave me that term. But you do your pre search, and you know, um, you think you know who you're going to bet going into that fight. But then you come out on the other end, and once you have all the facts, statistics, and everything that you need to see, you make up your mind. And I've made up my mind. I like Corey Sandhagen. I want to take him to win this fight by decision. Um, and I love the, the the money that we're getting on him right now. So I'm gonna I'm gonna more than likely be taking that bet. So Corey Sandhagen to win this fight by decision. Cody Garbrandt versus Hafiala Sunsau. This is probably the fight that I'm second most intrigued by following the other bantamweight scrap on this fight. But uh, we got minus 140 on Cody Garbrandt, plus 120 on Hefeola Uh Personally, I was hoping for a little bit of a better line on Cody Garbrandt because I thought that uh, this is a prime uh, matchup for him to come back to um, and showcase that he's still one of the top guys in the game. He's only 28 years old, still very young, um, and he still has a, a lot of improvements to go through. Most of his career, he's been at Team Alpha Male, and as of now, he uh, has switched over to Mark Henry part-time as he just was flying back and forth and, and working with both camps. Unfortunately, due to this COVID thing, I think his time with Mark Henry was cut a little bit short. Um, you know, he did get some time in with him. It's not like he didn't work with him at all, but uh, I believe he flew back to Sacramento to, to be with his kids, uh, or sorry, his kid and his wife after this uh this whole covid thing went down but uh i believe mark will be in his corner which is a good thing uh but and i feel like they have worked together quite well and this is a, a perfect uh relationship like mark henry is a mastermind when it comes to game planning for fighters and to have a guy like cody garbrandt under your wing uh you have so many tools at your disposal or disposal to 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 really uh implement your, your the game that the game plan that you really want to put out there um, Cody Garbrandt, we all know about him, you know, heavy puncher, great footwork, uh, but sometimes lets his emotions get the best of him. Uh, obviously in the TJ Dillashaw fights, uh, they had a lot of bad blood going into those fights. So it seems like, uh, you know, he was just a little bit too rattled by those things. Uh, it's weird though, because the Dominic Cruz fight, there was a lot of bad blood going into that fight too, but he was able to keep his composure and, and dance around Dominic Cruz and land some good shots throughout that fight en route to, to dethroning the bantamweight champion or the bantamweight king at that time and then lastly in his fight with pedro munoz uh that was a fight where you know it was going quite well for him uh outside of the leg kicks that uh, pedro munoz was landing pretty much at will uh who knows how much of an effect that would have had on cody throughout the fight but uh you know he did very uh besides that he did quite well in terms of sticking and moving uh and then there was that you know ill-fated headbutt or headbutt that happened against Pedro Munoz um and uh you know Pedro got him down pretty much immediately uh Cody was able to get up right away and then now uh, we saw like the fire come out in Cody Garbrandt where he just started swinging for the fences completely through technique and discipline out the window uh and was just being a complete idiot just the winging shots, not even moving his head, pretty much keeping his head on the center line uh, while he's trying to land the bigger shot. It was kind of like a, a dick swinging contest. Whoever was able to land the bigger shot would be the bigger man. Um, unfortunately for Cody, Pedro was the bigger man that night. You know, he landed a good shot, dropped Cody and really hurt him. Um, and I feel like 
um, his, you know, the Cody's um, narrative that's surrounding him right now is the fact that he has no chin or anything like that. I believe there is a bit of that, but it's also his stupidity at a t- at times. You know, again, just just leaving his chin out there to be hit, not not the best, especially when he lets his emotions get the best of him. The the thing that brings me the most hope regarding the rest of his career is the fact that he was able to acknowledge that after the fight. You know, he did acknowledge saying, I think he sent out a couple of tweets or even an Instagram post talking about how dumb his game plan was, or not even game plan, but how dumb he fought in terms of just letting his emotions get the best of him, thinking that the headbutt illegally uh, landed, obviously, uh, to the point that it hurt him, and then he just got pissed off about that and just wanted to finish the fight ASAP. He he addressed those things, and the first step to, to recovery is, you know, accepting... Uh, pretty much accepting your 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 faults and he did that and i i'm not i'm not completely sold on the narrative that he's the stupidest guy out there i feel like again working with a guy like mark henry and still staying faithful to his guys over at team alpha male we're going to see a really good cody garbrandt and there is the you know the little asterisk of this whole covid thing so he didn't really get the 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 amount of time in what mark henry probably should have but again I'm happy with the fact that he was able to address his, uh, you know, his his flaws and his faults, and I think that's only going to make him a better fighter. This is a, it's a good fight for him to come back to, just to you know jump back, jump right back into the, the thick of things. But Rafael Sanso is no slouch himself. You know, Rafael Sanso is coming off a loss to um, Corey Sandhagen, who also fights earlier, and then he uh, before that he lost to Marlon Moraes. Um, you know, in those last two fights, we have seen Rafael Sanso's chin tested. We've seen him get hurt. Um, you know, it, Corey Sanding had showed massive amounts of confidence in that fight where he, you know, anytime he landed a good shot, whether it was to the body or to the head, he's like waving at Hafa like, hey, I got you. And I think that if Cody is able to find those openings too, he could put uh, Rafael Sanso on his butt. The, the play here, in my opinion, is probably the under two and a half. I think for the majority of this fight, we're going to see it take place on the feet. I think Rafael Sonso is going to be very confident in his counter-striking game. He's going to let Cody come to him and then try to land a big bomb, and he's going to test the chin of Cody Garbrandt. So, uh, I, 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 again, another thing that Hafa could really implement is, is his leg kicks. He saw how effective it was when he fought, when Cody fought... Um, it's so weird. We got Corey and Cody. I'm I'm just trying to trying to differentiate the two as best as possible. I guess I might as well use their last names. But regardless, um, you know, we, Hafa was able to see how effective the the leg kicks from Pedro Munoz was. So maybe he should be able to implement that game that type of game plan as well. But uh, you know, Asansa has made a living off of being a very efficient striker, a very good counter striker. That's how he was able to beat Rob Font. That's how he was able to beat Matthew Lopez very just just calm cool collected just waiting for his openings and cody's gonna have to worry about that too um i like the under two and a half here to be honest i i think that there will be an opening for either guy uh plus one of five is not that bad of a line on a on a fight that two guys against four two guys that are primarily uh strikers uh Sunsa obviously has a black belt in his back pocket um cody's looking like he's been working on his jiu-jitsu just to be on the safe side but i think for the most part this fight's going to stay on the feet and uh 
I think we see I think we see an even better Cody Garbrandt here. If his chin issues are truly a thing of the past, um, and his work with Mark Henry has paid a little bit of dividends, uh, we're going to see a guy that moves well again. Uh, you know, times his entries and utilizes his power. I think that if he looks past the fact that he has power, uh, it may be a detriment to him. Don't go out there and be a point fighter. Um, go out there and, and and be that that killer that you are, but uh, just be very very cautious about the power coming back and i think he is i think he's made the necessary changes i know he's on a three fight losing streak two of those to tj dillashaw who at the time was on the all the sauces um yeah i like uh i, I like cody here um minus 140 a little bit too much for me to bet on him straight if he got down to like the minus 120 mark i would possibly think about making a bet on him but i like the under two and a half and i will wait fight week out and see if a little bit of hafielis on some money comes in if not i might just play the under two uh under two and a half again primarily strikers uh and i think that's where it's going to stay so i like cody garbrandt i'm going to take him to win by by second round ko i think he finally figures out hafielis on and gets that finish and he finally stamps his uh his return uh uh, and hopefully we see uh, an ever-improved Cody Garbrandt moving forward. All right, time for the main event. And on paper, it is, does not seem like it's the, the most exciting uh, main event or anything like that. But, um, you know, Amanda Nunes versus Felicia Spencer, minus 600 for Amanda Nunes, plus 450 for Felicia Spencer. This fight... It, it could actually steal the show strictly due to the fact that we could potentially see a giant upset here. So let's start off with the challenger, Felicia Spencer. Um, she was the former Invicta featherweight champion, and then she came over to the UFC, uh, fought Megan Anderson, fought Chris Cyborg, lost that fight, which is her only professional loss to date. And then she beat Zara Farron last time out. And now she is scheduled to fight Amanda Nunes uh, for the featherweight strap. This division is a little bit of a wasteland, you know. There's not too many w- women here. Out of those four, five women I just mentioned, those are pretty much all there is. You know, the rest of them are Invicta, and I don't believe that they're at the level of uh, talent that the UFC should be having, uh, at least in their organization. But that's besides the fact. Let's get into actually breaking down this fight. Felicia Spencer, she doesn't really make any bones about it. She, You know where she wants to get this fight. She gets the fight to the ground, and then she goes for the finish. Um, you know, Megan Anderson and Zara Farron, she only needed one takedown on each of those ladies to get this fight to the ground and get the finish that she was uh, seeking. You know, she was looking for that finish against Chris Cyborg as well, too. And that was a fight where a lot of people that thought Cyborg was just going to go in there and completely murder Felicia Spencer in that first round. But she saw, she showed great resilience. Uh, she even cut uh, Chris Cyborg in that first round. Um you know, really uh, place a little bit of adversity in Chris Cyborg there. Um, I like I like Felicia Spencer uh, in terms of her her grittiness and in, in terms of her toughness and getting fights to the ground. Uh, that's where she does the best of her work. Uh, her hands could use a little bit of work, but they're good enough. Uh, and her chin is absolutely amazing too uh, to be able to eat all those shots that she was from Zara, uh, from Chris Cyborg. You know, a lot of women would have folded, and a lot of women have folded from those shots from Chris Cyborg. But Felicia was just there the entire time. She didn't wilt at any point. Uh, obviously, Chris did manage to keep this fight on the feet for the majority of the the fight and allowed her to to pretty much outpoint felicia spencer there um 
she has good entries. Uh, she's relentless. Her cardio is great too. I think she'll be able to put her on a five round, uh, you know, performance here in terms of like being able to stay there and not really gas out or wilt under anything that Amanda Nunes is going to throw at her. Um, speaking of Amanda Nunes, let's go over to her. She has a. She's obviously cemented herself as probably the women's goat. You know, wins over Ronda Rousey, Chris Cyborg, especially in the fashion of that fight. Uh, Valentina Shevchenko twice, Holly Holm, Jermaine Durandamy. We, we've seen her put together uh, all-time performances when she's going up against the lady, these ladies. The one thing that Felicia, you know, presents that these other ladies didn't was a, a grapple-heavy approach. Um, you know, Ronda Rousey, we already know her thing. Like, if she's not able to get the fight to the ground, she's going to be a, a fish out of water. And then Amanda Nunes was able to start her within 48 seconds there. Uh, Shevchenko. That fight primarily stayed on the feet, and it was a very close fight too. Uh, but I'm not saying that Felicia is going to go out there and try to strike with Amanda Nunes here. Raquel Pennington, she went one for eight on takedowns, and that one takedown that she got on Amanda Nunes in the second round didn't seem to be the hardest to get either. So I believe that Felicia Spencer will be able to implement some sort of takedown game here. Chris Cyborg, we obviously know what happened in that fight. Holly Holm had a little bit of a brain fire and got knocked out for it. And then Jermaine Durandamy, she had a little bit of success on the feet, which is why Amanda Nunes was forced to to complete eight takedowns over those five rounds to secure this fight, uh, you know, especially to be in the safest realm as possible. Uh, Felicia Spencer, I think, is going to make it a lot tougher of a fight than people are imagining. Minus 600, in my opinion, is a little bit crazy. I wouldn't go out there and parlay Amanda Nunes at those odds, but the but the line that I do like in this fight is the over one and a half. You know, it's a, it's a little bit juicy at the minus one ninety, minus two hundred range that it's currently at. I'm okay with that. You know, I don't mind that. Uh, I think that we'll see. You know, you know, Nunes' last fight that actually was a quick finish was Chris Cyborg. Um, and obviously Holly Holm, who had a little bit of a, a brain fart again, like I said. But uh, when fighters are a little bit more hesitant, Amanda Nunes is okay with that. And she allows her game to slowly come to her. She's not going to go out there and force a finish or force a, you know any type of uh, chaos or anything like that. I think Felicia Spencer is going to you know take her time and then slowly try to get Amanda Nunes into a position where she'll have her in the warning track and then just push her, or kind of bull rush her uh, and clinch her up against the cage. She Felicia's a, a pretty you know solid featherweight. You know she's not an, she's not the tallest or anything like that, but she she's I don't want to say chunky because that sounds like derogatory but like she's 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 thick with two c's you know she's she has a little bit of strength behind her so i think she could cause amanda nunez some problems up against the cage in that cage area or that clinch area um and i think that will force this fight to to be a little bit longer um and definitely go over that seven and a half minute mark we could see felicia spencer get the takedown here we could see her riding up top on amanda nunez and nunez is good too with her jiu-jitsu she's a black belt herself but um you know if Felicia is able to wear on her for five rounds or four rounds or three rounds or whatever it's going to take for her to potentially get a finish or just even get a decision victory, it's highly possible. Like, again, uh, out of her last however many fights, most of her opponents have been striking dominant. You know, Valentina Shevchenko didn't really try to fuck around on the ground as much. Um, we've seen her dominant there in the past, in the last couple of fights, but she didn't really try to implement that as much in the Amanda Nunes fights. But here... You know, that's pretty much Felicia Spencer's game. So um, I, I I like the over here. You know, that that's that's something that I'm considering making a play on. Um, but I'm staying the fuck away from uh, parlaying Amanda Nunes at minus 600. If she was closer to like 
minus 300 or minus 250 uh that's a more parlayable line in my opinion but uh, minus 600 adds little to no value uh in any parlays that you want to throw uh together so i i still will pick amanda nunez i think that she'll be able to you know uh stifle the takedowns um i think that she'll be able to to win off of points uh just off of striking i think we'll see like a similar style where chris cyborg was able to implement the same thing where it's just like a okay i'm just going to continuously shrug off any takedowns that are coming my way and she might give up a couple takedowns that that is absolutely true um and but i'm not completely writing off the black belt in jiu-jitsu that amanda nunez is so um you know, I think it'll be tougher for Felicia to get the finish. Um, but there is absolutely po- the possibility that Felicia could get her down every single round and just ride out opposition. But I'm going to go with Amanda Nunes. Uh, I think she's made a lot of improvements, uh, you know, during this run, that this crazy run that she's on. Uh, but uh, yeah, I like I like Nunes. Not betting it. Uh, the over is the only thing that is sexy enough to me to to possibly risk a little bit of money there. Um, but yeah, don't don't parlay Amanda Nunes here. This is a very very dangerous fight. If she's going up against another striker, you know that's potential for for her to to implement a, a grapple heavy approach, just like she did in the Jermaine Duranemi fight. But here. She's going up against a girl with a really good chin, uh, very durable, um, and has a clinch-heavy game that can drag this fight longer than it should be. And we could possibly see Amanda Nunes, uh, her her prior gas tank issues come back to fruition here. Maybe, because Felicia's going to be making her work. This isn't going to be a Valentina Shevchenko fight where they're just staring at each other and just waiting to counter one another. Like This is going to be a fight where Amanda Nunes is going to have to work, and that could that could be tough. And well, I know that Felicia Spencer will be able to go those rounds that she needs to go you know round after round going for takedowns and all that stuff so um i'm just not a thousand percent confident in in amanda nunes or um felicia spencer or amanda nunes actually but i do really like the over one and a half because i could definitely see a feeling out period as well as a lot of clinch positions and grappling positions uh with neither girl getting a finish so um official pick amanda nunes by decision or, or even late stoppage um but over two and a, or over one and a half is probably the way to go here. So that's the main event, and uh, that's UFC 250. And uh, th- this has been a crazy week in terms of putting this content together for you guys. Uh, I appreciate you guys, you know, sitting tight and waiting for me to get all this stuff together and and get it done with. Um, it, it, it's crazy. Um, as you guys already know, like I said at the top of the show, hit up the Patreon if you guys want to get these breakdowns a little bit sooner uh, than the public gets it. Um, we got a bunch of other perks up there in terms of the, the Best Bets article. Um, you know, I give you guys my leans as soon as possible. You guys get all my official plays, even when I'm charging the public. Uh, and there's a bunch of other perks out there. And you guys can hit me up whenever you want through there, too. Uh, make sure you guys follow me at MMALOTN on Twitter. That's where I'm going to be posting all my picks whenever they're free. And then also the website, MMALOTN.ca. Uh, and lastly, the MMA, or sorry, the, the Lock of the Night Challenge and the Dog of the Night Challenge are slowly coming to a close. So if that's something that you're interested in, uh, again, Lock of the Night uh, Challenge is pretty much you pick one lock every event. It can't be worse than minus 250. Uh, and I believe we're going to have it go on for. For six months um every ufc event whoever uh, accumulates the most amount of profit gets the pot we split it between the top three um obviously 65 percent, 25 percent, and 10 percent in terms of pay scale um and then dog of the night challenge that's every 10 events uh pick one dog uh you can choose between one and three units to play on them uh and uh 
yeah, that, sorry, one dog for every event, and whoever accumulates the most amount of profit in that amount of time gets the pot as well too. So uh, hit me up if you guys are interested in that. Uh, the Twitter sphere is probably the best way to get a hold of me, at MMALOTN once again. Um, all right, good luck this weekend. Your boys get married this weekend, like I said. Uh, wish me luck. I'll be off the grid from Saturday all the way until Tuesday. So if you try to hit me up in between then, I won't get back to you. I, I'm going to be going dark on social media because I won't be watching this card live. Um, I'll be enjoying the my honeymoon, per se, with my with my soon-to-be wife. Really looking forward to that. I, I can't wait. It's it's we, we got a nice little cottage up north that we can just unwind at. I can't wait for that. Um, but when I get back into the city, I got my man Tony who's going to be hooking me up with the fights so I can just literally come home, plug the fights in, and just, just get to catching up because there's nothing more I hate in this world than spoilers. So there's that. All right. Again, follow me on Twitter at MMALOTN. Uh, check out the website, MMALOTN.ca. Everything's in the description below as well, too. And hit me in the comments. Let me know what you guys think about the video, what you guys think about my picks. And I went 8-2 and two last week. So hopefully we can keep this run going. All right. See you guys next week, and let's make some money.